If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking for a little while through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this moment where Jesus goes up onto the side of, uh, it, it was a hill, but uh, we call it uh, the Mount. Uh, he goes up on the side of this, this hill, he sits down, and he starts talking about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And he doesn't pull any punches. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, I feel like I should just say good job. You, you've, you've made it. Uh, we've put some pretty stern, clear, uh, heavy prefaces on the front of our sermons for the last couple of Sundays because we've covered some really heavy topics, right? Over the last couple of weeks, we have, uh, we've talked about uh, adultery. We've talked about murder. We've talked about divorce last Sunday on Mother's Day. Uh, that was that was miraculous that God gave us a way to be able to do that all on the same day. Uh, we've been doing all of that, but I also just want to say to you, good job for the ways that you've you've hung in there. Uh, I know these aren't easy topics all the time, uh, but I also want to say I'm so proud of those of you who have been engaging this stuff more than just coming to church on a Sunday. Uh, we we say here at Life Church that discipleship begins in the pulpit. So, discipleship, the discipleship conversation that we're having for the week begins on Sunday. Sunday's the first day of our week. We we kind of set the tone with the with the sermon, and then we actually give you guys some questions. You'll hear some questions from Pastor Mark later on as he comes to wrap up our service. Uh, but but we just know that there is an encouragement for discipleship to continue after Sunday. And the way that that happens is through questions and conversations and dialogue and wrestling. And we've been hearing some really good, really powerful questions uh, in response to some of our sermons over the last few weeks. I've had some just incredible conversations. And I've heard of some incredible conversations that have been happening. And we've heard some really challenging questions that are, that are being posed as a result of the things that God is saying to us in our church as we, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. So I just want to say to you, well done. Let's keep that going. Real discipleship might begin in the pulpit, but it continues in relationships. So let me just encourage you uh, to, to keep that up. That said, today on one hand might feel like a little bit of a lighter topic because we're not talking about killing people or cheating on our spouses or breaking up marriages or anything like that. So it might feel a little lighter unless it turns out that you are a big fat liar. <laughs> then, then this sermon is for you. Buckle up and get ready. <laughs> Jesus talks about not taking oaths. Ultimately, uh, in, in your Bible, like in my Bible, uh, the, the subheading of this passage or this point in the Sermon on the Mount is called to tell the truth. Uh, so Jesus is concerned with, with what we say. Now, let, me, let me ask you a question as we kind of begin to dig into this. Have you ever been in a conversation, you've heard somebody, or maybe you've said this expression, something like, I swear to God. Right? And you say it kind of like that, right? Like you're trying to, trying to emphasize what I'm telling you is the real deal right now. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth, right? Or, or somebody, somebody is telling you a story and they go, I promise this really happened, right? Or, or they say, I'm not lying, which, to which I, I always want to cut people off when they tell me that. And they go, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. I always want to cut them off and say, so am I to believe now, because you said you're not lying right now, that every other thing you've ever told me was a lie? This is the first time you're telling me the truth? Isn't it interesting how we have kind of this tendency to, 
to make these kinds of uh, expressions. There's the old playground expression where we go, I cross my heart and hope to die, right? This is an expression you might not have heard in America. It's an, it's an old Irish expression where uh, the Irish will say no word of a lie. They're saying nothing that I'm saying right now is a lie. All of it is the truth. We feel the need to like compound our statements by these expressions uh, to, to almost exaggerate how much we are telling the truth right now. And this is what Jesus is coming after uh, when he says that we are either swearing or making a vow or, or taking or making an oath. So we're going to talk about oath making today. And you heard the scripture uh, that Sharon read for us a few minutes ago. We're going to dig into what Jesus means. And so the first question we need to answer today as we dig into this passage is, what is an oath? Maybe you don't actually know what an oath is, and so Jesus says maybe you shouldn't take one. Well, what is an oath? Uh, The dictionary would define the English word oath as a statement or promise strengthened by a solemn appeal to a deity. A deity is is God or a a kind of God. Uh, it's It's a promise strengthened by a solemn appeal to a deity or to some revered person or thing to witness one's determination to speak the truth or to keep a promise. In other, way, in other words, it's, it's a way that we, we try to stress just how much we mean what we're saying right now. So you might hear an oath being made in a courtroom, right? There's the old practice of putting one hand on a Bible and saying, uh, repeat after me, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why can't we just say, I'm going to tell the truth? Well, because we want to emphasize just how much it matters that you don't lie right now, right? That you tell all of the truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, you might hear an oath being made when a person is swear, being sworn into office, maybe for military service. By the way, if you've ever taken that oath, thank you. Thank you for your service. You might take uh, an oath or make a vow at a wedding ceremony, right? And these are, these are weighty expressions of our words. One of the words that Jesus actually uses here as he's sitting on the side of a mountain talking about not taking oaths, it can actually be translated to the English word restraint. And so if you unpack what Jesus is saying, is he's saying that to make or to swear an oath or to take a vow is to be restrained or bound by your own words to keep the commitment you're making with your words, right? When I made a vow to Sharon, I was being restrained to that vow to, to love her in what? In sickness and health, right? Till death do us part, in, in being broke and being slightly less broke, right? No matter what our pocketbook looks like or what our physical body looks like or feels like, I made a, a vow to be restrained to her. I'm super happy that I made that oath, just for the record, in case anyone was wondering, because I know that word restrained might feel restrictive, but I'm really glad that I made that oath, and I intend to keep it until death do us part, and then probably after that until I die. Does that just sound like I'm expecting you to die first? <laughs> Having, as soon as that came out of my mouth, I realized that sounded terrible. It, never mind. There's just... I'm just going to, I have a sermon to preach. I'm not going to try to fix, well, Sharon and I will fix that over lunch later. Yeah. Our marriage is fine. We can handle the fact that I just said something dumb in, in public. Here's what Jesus was pushing back on. Jesus was pushing back on a teaching and a culture. 
So the teaching was, went something like this. Uh, in, in the days of Jesus, it was actually common to make an oath. And think about, think about currency. Like we, we kind of make an oath or a promise, you know, when we, when we pay for something or when we, uh, when we sign a contract for something. And, and one of the ways that, that promises were made or expressions were strengthened back in Jesus' day was this regular common practice to use your words to make an oath. It was a way to guarantee that you would keep your word. And the idea or the teaching or the thinking was that the greater the thing was that you would swear by, the stronger your oath. And the Jewish teaching in this, in this idea actually started from a really good place. It started from wanting to honor God's commands, right? Like in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, where it says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or in other translations, it says, don't take God's name in vain. Because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Or like in Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23, where it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you, and it will be counted against you as sin. So if you say to God you're going to do something, or you say you're going to do something in God's name, and you don't do it, it's counted against you as sin. And then it goes on to say, But if you refrain from making a vow, it will not be counted to you against you as sin. Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips, because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. In other words, nobody's forcing you to make a vow, but if you make a vow, you're going to have to do it, especially if you make that vow in the name of God. So the teaching began by saying that if you make an oath swearing by God, you must keep it on pain of death. That was the Old Testament, old school way of doing things. If you make an oath and you don't keep it, sucker, you're going to die. Eventually, this teaching kind of morphed into becoming never swear by God's name. You can, you can swear by anything else, just don't swear by God's name. Instead, uh, they, would, they would swear by buildings or things or, or uh, religious artifacts. I'll give you an example. Jesus actually mentions this in Matthew 23, verse 16. He says, woe to you, blind guides. He's talking to the religious leaders of the time. Woe to you, blind guides, who, says, who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold in the temple is bound by his oath. So they were, they were saying, well, not just the building, that's not enough, but the gold in the temple, that's real special, so make sure you keep that oath, right? So the teaching was getting twisted to try to find loopholes in ways that, that people could make oaths to demonstrate just how much they meant what they were saying. And all of that teaching presented this culture that then Jesus is pushing back on, and the culture was a, it was a culture of exaggeration and empty promises, so the, the result was that people would make oaths by all kinds of stuff, and then they wouldn't feel bound to keep that oath. Well, because I didn't swear by God's name. And so they would get away with that, and that became the culture of the day, just as long as they don't swear by God himself. The goal was actually uh, to try to express how serious you were about your words. And part of this was because in Jewish culture and in the Jewish religion, uh, the religion had basically become a mountain of traditions, a mountain of practices, and, and, and all of that was designed to show everyone else around you how good you were at being Jewish, at being a follower, a child of God, right? So Jesus comes along and he says, now don't take an oath at all. And here's where we need to give a, a point of clarity. 
The point of clarity is this, that some people have actually used this teaching to come along and say we should never make any oath at all. I actually heard of a person who was saying, I remember when I was getting sworn into the military and I, I, I really got hung up on making the oath to the military because I was told at church that you shouldn't make oaths. So I didn't know what to do. I was super conflicted. And he ended up making the oath and, and he ended up serving his country and, and, it, and it worked out. It's just interesting how much we actually miss the point of what Jesus is really trying to teach in this moment. So again, while it comes from a good heart to just say, fine, we're just going to swear off swearing altogether. We're not going to make any oaths at all. Again, it misses the point. And the result of it is legalism. The result is that we then make more rules for ourselves by saying, well, just don't make any oaths. But we have to remember that Jesus came to set us free from the rules of empty religion, not to lay more rules on top of us. He, he, did, he didn't come to say, let me give you more rules about what you can and can't say. He came to set us free. Right? So we have to remember that as we think about our, our, our perspective on oath making. So then the question is, what actually is the big deal with making oaths? What is Jesus trying to communicate? And think again about the topics that we've covered, right? Murder, adultery, divorce, making oaths. Doesn't it almost seem like this doesn't fit? Like, what's the big deal, Jesus, about making oaths? I mean, we've gone from killing people and breaking up marriages to make sure you say what you mean. Why is that so important to Jesus? And maybe you're actually just sitting here going, I'm really thankful that he put this here because we've talked about all these heavy things for the last three weeks. I'd like a breather. Thank you very much, Jesus. Well, that's actually not what his intention was. Uh, but the question again is, why is swearing or oath making so important that it would fit into this point in the Sermon on the Mount? I would say that there are several reasons, and I'll give you four of them today. There, you might know of more of them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well later on. But let me give you four reasons why Jesus takes oath-making seriously, and then you might be able to understand why Jesus felt like this was an important point to make right here in this sermon. The first reason Jesus takes oath-making seriously is that oath-making is above your pay grade. This is an expression that we use here at the church. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and I realize that what you need isn't a pastor, you need a therapist. And so I'll say, your issue is above my pay grade. Let me help you in a pastoral way by sitting you down with a person who has training to help you get out of the stuck place that you're in, right? And by the way, at Life Church, we always recommend Christian therapists because we want our, even our therapy to be rooted in and point us back to Jesus. Amen? Right, okay. So the, the problem, though, with swearing... Uh, or making oaths in God's name or by God, is that what you're doing in that moment is you are calling God to validate your words. You see how that's above your pay grade? It's as if you get to tell God to serve you. You're putting his stamp of approval on what you say. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would say something and then you would look at your parents to force them to agree with you? Like, I, like I, I remember my niece, Angelina, uh, she, would, she would every single day, uh, she would go, so we're going to Disneyland today, right? And then she'd look at her parents. Like, if I just say it enough times, one day we're going to go to Disneyland. Now, this is actually a bad example because one day it actually worked. They did plan a surprise trip to Disneyland, but, but this, 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 is, this is fine. We're on safe ground because Angelina's parents aren't Jesus, so... 
We're talking about Jesus, though. Jesus doesn't exist to serve us. God doesn't exist to, to serve us. And we can't just say something and then go, see, God, you have to agree with what I said because I, I said it in the right way. It's above our pay grade to expect God to agree with our oath or to validate our words. Furthermore, you can't make an oath on things that you don't own or you don't control. Jesus says, don't make an oath on the God's footstool on, on the earth. Don't make, a, don't make an oath on, on the kingdom of heaven. Don't even make an oath on the color of your hair. Now, you're probably thinking, well, I actually can control the color of my hair now. But your natural hair color, you cannot, he's, God says, you can't even make a single hair on your head turn black or white. You cannot control that. So God is saying, don't try to make an oath on things that you don't own or that you can't control. You don't own God or his throne room. And in reality, you don't even own yourself. I mean, I am yours. Right? So ultimately, Jesus is pointing out that oath-making is an act of arrogance. It's an act of of acting like we can tell God what he should agree with. James chapter 5, verse 12 tells us that this is actually pretty serious. He says in James chapter 5, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by, or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. He's not just saying so that you don't look like an idiot when the thing you said doesn't happen. He's saying you get condemned if you do this practice because you don't have the power to guarantee. So we make oaths. Uh, we, when we make oaths, we would actually be wise to, to heed the warning of, of the, the great philosopher, uh, Captain Tom Stinger Jordan. You might know him from a movie about a volleyball team that liked to fly airplanes. Um, he looked at this kid named Maverick standing in his office one day, and he says, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You can, it's, it's called Top Gun. You can go watch that movie. <laughs> you remember that scene? He yells at me. He goes, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. This is so good. We do this to God all the time. We do this with each other quite frequently, when we say things that we actually don't have the authority to guarantee. A better way would be to be a humble person. A better way would be to just say what you mean and then do what you say you will do, right? So Jesus says, instead of using fancy expressions and making oaths and swearing by God, why don't you just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no? A second reason that oath-making is not a good practice and why Jesus is taking it very seriously is that oath-making is actually a form of manipulation. Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? We're going to talk about some movies and some kids' shows today, just so you know. Have you, have you ever seen the, the Wizard of Oz? Okay, spoiler alert. It's been a minute. I don't feel bad about spoiling. If you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz, the wizard, turns out, isn't a real wizard. Okay. He, he made it look like he was a big, giant green head, right, with all the power. Magical guy, the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy comes in with her friends, and they ask for all this stuff. And, and, and he yells, oh, you listen to me, you know, smoke and fireworks and all this kind of impressive, scary stuff. 
It turns out he's just a guy hiding behind a curtain. He, he was using a facade to impress and ultimately even to manipulate. So he says to Dorothy, fine, if you, if you want to do uh, what you're asking me to do, well, I'm going to send you on a mission. I'm going to make you do something for me, Dorothy. He sends her off to go fight the, wizard, the, the wicked witch and bring her, her broomstick back to him. Which turns out has nothing to do with anything. If you've seen this movie, like, the broomstick doesn't mean anything. She brings it back and nothing happens because of the broomstick. He doesn't use the broomstick to get her home. No, it's for no reason at all. Making an oath is a lot like trying to be a wizard. If I can use the right words, I can manipulate you to agree with me or maybe even do what I want you to do. Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy about the Sermon on the Mountain. He writes it about it this way. He says, the essence of swearing or making oaths is to try to use something uh, or use, use something that, though impressive, is irrelevant to the issue at hand in order to get others to believe you and let you have your way. He goes on by, by saying the wrongness of swearing actually lies deeper. We are using people trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their will and possess them for our purposes. Whatever consent they give us will be uninformed because we have short-circuited their understanding of what is going on. When we exaggerate, when we don't just tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, we actually are manipulating people into believing a version of reality that doesn't actually exist so that we can get them to buy into our version of the story or so that we can get them to behave a way that we want them to behave. A modern example of this might be the stereotype of the modern used car salesman. Right? This is the person that you go on the lot, they tell you, oh yeah, I, I, I would sell my mother this car. And then you drive it off the lot and they, you know, spun the yarn and it turns out they sold you a lemon. Right? By the way, just, just as a side note, it, it turns out that we happen to know some really good car salesmen who have redeemed this narrative and some of them go to Life Church. So we're not disparaging car salesmen in general, but you understand the stereotype. Jesus comes along and he says, instead, just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. In other words, he's saying, just be an honest person. Simply put, manipulation is lying in order to control people. Therefore, making an oath is a form of lying. Which is why Jesus makes this other statement at the end in verse 37. He says, anything more than just letting your yes be yes and your no be no, anything more than that is from the evil one. This is why he says that expression, and this is why it's that serious to him. After he talks about murder and adultery and divorce, and he says, make sure that when you tell the story about your murder and your adultery and your divorce that you tell the truth. Make sure that when people ask you how you feel about someone that you don't exaggerate. Make sure that you, when people ask you whether or not you've got any lust issues that you tell the truth. Oh, by the way, don't tell the truth like on Facebook. Tell the truth to like, safe people. But tell the truth. Don't exaggerate. Don't try to make yourself look better than you really are. We all know that you suck. You know how we know? We're one of you. Be honest. 
listen, be honest even if you don't get your way. The third reason that making an oath uh, is bad is that oath-making is actually a sign not just of manipulation, it's a a sign of insecurity. Oath-making is intended to impress people. We want them to hear how committed or how serious we are, right? We never do this with God. We never go to God and say, if you do this, then I promise you I'll serve you for the rest of my life, right? We, we never tell people something that's slightly less than true in order for, to have them think higher than us either. I, I know other people do this, but you don't. People who behave this way want others to think highly of them because they don't think highly of themselves. Oath-making is actually a sign of insecurity. So we bolster our stories with phrases like, I promise you this is real. Ultimately, this is rooted in the fear of being disagreed with, right? What what would it mean about me if I say something and somebody doesn't agree with me? Or, Or if they don't view me as smart? Or they don't follow my opinion or my advice. So we make oaths, we stretch the truth, we swear, we, 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 we convince people with our words that we're valuable and that what we say matters. Sharon told me a, a story about a show that I promise you I have never watched. It's called Pound Puppies. To my knowledge, I do not recall ever having seen an episode of this show. But she told me last night about a character on that show whose name was Whopper. So Whopper was apparently the runt of the litter. I just saw somebody over here give an amen about Whopper. Okay, so you already know where this illustration is going. For the rest of us, for the rest of us who don't know anything about pound puppies, Apparently, we're missing out. Whopper was the runt of the litter, and he had a problem. He would run his mouth. Whopper would exaggerate his abilities, and he would tell stories, and he would stretch the truth about what happened. And the reason he did that, it turned out, came from a place of shame and embarrassment because he felt like he was, since he was the runt, he was insignificant. So he had to stretch the truth about what he did or what happened or about his abilities so that others would find more value in himself than he placed in himself because he was embarrassed or he was insecure. So when we don't know our own worth, what ends up happening is we exaggerate and we tell whopper stories because we don't value ourselves, so we walk around telling exaggerations, begging people to place value in what we say. Because, if we think, because we think that if they place value in what we say, they are placing value in who we are. And the solution to this would be to instead allow God to determine your value and then just let that be enough. Let your words be accepted or rejected based on other people's free choice rather than on your ability to convince them. And if they don't agree with you, we have to understand that just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that they have diminished you. Okay, let's look at this from another angle. Have you ever been asked to do something and you find yourself, rather than just saying no, you came up with a story and then you walk away from that conversation you're like, I'm not even going to do the thing I said that I was going to do that got me out of doing the thing I didn't want to do. 
Has this ever happened to you? I just made that up. I, I know it never has happened to me. You get a gold star if you find out how many times I lied during this sermon. <laughs> but I've never done this one. But we know that this comes from a place of insecurity, right? We make excuses when we're asked to do something because we're too insecure to just say no. Because we're afraid that if we say no, that they won't love us anymore. We're afraid to hurt people's feelings. And so we don't just say no, we come up with a reason, right? This is the old, like, do you want to go out on a date with me? No, I have to wash my hair that night. Just say no. Or, or on the flip side of the same idea is that you swear that you are going to do something because you want to impress something, somebody. Rather than just saying yes, you go, oh yeah, that's, I want to do that more than anything in the world. And you don't want to do that at all. But you want them to love you, so you say more than anything in the world. Because just saying yes doesn't feel strong enough. Because you don't think that your character is strong enough. That when you say yes, it has any meaning. Okay, so on another note, let's look at this from a third angle, if I haven't got you already. So we're a Pentecostal church. We're Pentecostal people, and we believe in prophecy. Prophecy is basically, in a nutshell, saying what we believe God is saying in a moment, right? So reading scripture is a form of prophecy. Hearing a word from the Lord by the Holy Spirit is a form of prophecy. I believe some of what Sharon was saying during our ministry moment today was a form of prophecy. In Pentecostal culture, we absolutely believe in prophecy, but there's actually a temptation to be prophetic, all the time in Pentecostal circles. And, and that's where, you know, you can, you have, you've heard the expression, too much of anything good can still be bad, right? Uh, so he, here's what happens. When we're not confident enough to share our own opinions, our Pentecostal theology gives us an out. So we just put it on God. Is anybody, am I the only one that's ever noticed this, right? I don't want to tell that person what I really think. So what I'll, so what I'll say is, well, I was praying about it, and I heard the Lord say, I shouldn't do that. No, you didn't. You just don't want to do it. Okay, let's, let's look at it from another direction. You guys lived through 2020. The number of conversations where people said, I'm going to step on some toes. Um, Get ready. The number of times that I heard people say that God told them who was going to be the president. And it turned out that person wasn't the president. It would have been better for you if you had just said, I don't want that person to be the president. Because it turned out God didn't say the thing you thought he said. Or the number of people who have said, you can't be a part of the church and wear a mask. It turns out you just don't want to wear a mask. Guess what? Neither do I. I hate it. But I do it because I love you. I was about to ask, never mind. All right. Let's move forward. It gets real quiet when we talk like this. Here's, here's why this is a problem, and here's why this fits into this sermon. is because as Pentecostal people, we don't have the right to put our opinion in God's mouth and call it a word. Just share your opinion. And that's not a correction. You should hear that as a validation. You matter. 
Sweetheart, God loves you so much. He gave you a brain. Scripture says you have the mind of Christ. God loves the way you think when you think the way he thinks. You don't need to speak for him when you're just sharing your opinion. And you know what happens then when it turns out your opinion is wrong? You don't have to backtrack a prophetic word, which, for just for the record, the Old Testament standard on when you get a prophecy wrong is we would stone you to death. So just, ha- just have an opinion. And then if you're right, you get to be right. And we go, man, you're so smart. I'm so glad you shared your opinion. You must have the mind of Christ. And when you're wrong, you get to come and be humble and say, I was wrong. And then we get to say, I'm so glad you shared that. You must have the mind of Christ. You see how that works? And instead, we run around and we put words in God's mouth or we express things that aren't accurate. A better way would just be to say, I think... I think this is what God is saying. So if you're insecure, rather than using your words to make people feel better or to make yourself feel better, listen to what God says about you for a second. Okay. Romans 8.37 says, In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In how many things? In all things! We're more than conquerors. Through God who loved us. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 2.10 says for we are his workmanship. Another translation says we are his masterpiece. We are the masterpiece of Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Jesus looks at those of us who make oaths and say, you didn't need to impress me to gain my love. So let my love be enough for you and just be enough. And just let your yes stand as yes. And let your no be no. And then finally, oath-making lacks honor. Oath-making diminishes God's honor. The command is clear. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Imagine for a second that you go to a school and your dad is, is the person for whom the school is named after. I was watching a show with my kids the other day, and it was about a girls' basketball team, and this girl was being rebellious, and the coach was going to kick her off the team, and then, uh, and then the assistant coach was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And it was a brand-new coach. He's like, I don't understand. Why can't I discipline this girl? She's being ridiculous. And the, and the assistant coach points up to the scoreboard. It turns out, same last name as the girl, and the t- her dad owned the gym. She thought she could get away with whatever she wanted because her, her dad, she was taking her father's name in vain. Thinking you can get away with whatever you want just because, you know, my dad owns the world. Using, say it another way. Using the name of your father in heaven for your personal advantage. And why is that dishonoring God? Because it makes him look bad because you represent him in the world, rather than behaving in a way that would make him look good and bringing honor to his name. So oath-making 
in God's name pretends that God exists to serve you. And then, of course, oath-making also is, it lacks honor because it diminishes your honor, right? We just read about how God feels about you. He loves you. He's so excited about you. But if you constantly make promises or swear to God or on God's name, not only are you taking his name in vain, but you're making yourself look like an untrustworthy person. Think about that person you know that is constantly making big promises and big oaths. That's the very person in our circle or groups of friends that we all don't trust, always running their mouth, always saying what they're going to do and then never doing it, right? Think about the boy who cried wolf, always running his mouth to get attention. And then the wolf finally shows up and nobody else did because we don't trust you because he had diminished his honor by saying things that weren't true. So ultimately, Jesus' Jesus's response is, let your yes mean yes, and your no, just let it mean no. Ultimately, this is an integrity issue, isn't it? This is why the subheading in your Bible is just, just tell the truth. Just be a person of integrity. I, I think that Jesus would actually have us simplify our speech to just say what we mean and then mean what we actually say. This, this used to be me. Point of confession, I'll confess in front of my church and my friends, I used to talk in order to gain power and value. This is, this is why I thought, actually, God put a call on my life to be a preacher, and I thought, oh, cool. So I, I, that, what that means is I get to use words to be in charge of people. So I would exaggerate. I would tell stories, that would just, and I would get called out on it. Like, Tim, you're always exaggerating. That's not how that happened. No, it's true. I promise you that's how it really happened. <laughs> I would make empty promises. I would say I was going to do things, and I would use big words to express how committed I was, and then I wouldn't follow through. And I ended up looking like a lazy person. I used my words to try to impress people. Because I thought that the more that I talked and the, the smarter I sounded, the more valuable I would become. And, and for me, this was actually rooted in a place of feeling abandoned. My parents divorced when I was eight years old. My dad and I have had a very rocky relationship. And that word abandonment has lived very close to my heart for a, a long time in my life. So I would use my words to manipulate people into loving me because I was afraid of what would happen if I lost another person in my life. I was afraid of what that would mean about who I was. Like maybe I would just be so unloved, eventually I would just cease to exist. I mean, this affected the way I would preach. God would tell me to preach about stuff, and I wouldn't do it. I remember the day, actually, it was in this church. I had, so I had been a pastor for a hot minute already, like several years and the Lord told me to preach about money, and I didn't want to do it. Not because I didn't believe it, but because I was afraid you would leave. I remember the preface I wrote for that sermon, and I stood up in front of the church, and I said, I owe you an apology. Because I've known I've supposed, I've, I, I was supposed to preach this message years ago, and I didn't because I was afraid of what you would think about me. And I have to get out of the way and just preach the truth. But that didn't happen because I'm so incredible. That happened because God healed my heart. And just for the record, the irony of that is that the more comfortable I get telling the truth, the more people seem to leave the church. 
at least the ones that only came to hear something that made them feel comfortable. Now, I did not just say I celebrate when people leave the church. It grieves my heart. It still touches me and hurts me deeply. But I don't find my value in you sitting here listening to me talk. Please don't find your value in sitting there listening to me talk. This is not the extent of our Christianity, right? We need to be people who believe what God believes about us so that we can tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. By the way, I'll just say as a side note, I've said this a lot in private conversations. I, I actually think that our church is healthier than we've ever been right now because we've become committed to tell the truth no matter what it looks like and no matter what it feels like. Amen? We still say the truth in love because we all belong. Yeah. All right, let's land the plane. Um, if, you've been, if you've been making oaths and you're, and you're sitting here realizing, oh, I thought this was going to be a softball, I, I actually have some work to do. I thought I was going to get away with it this week. And I've, got some, I've, I've learned something today about myself, right? So you might be asking yourself, like I was asking myself at one point, how do I clean up my integrity? Because my mouth has, has sullied my integrity. So the, the first step, I'll give you three steps. Number one, come clean. Right? Be an honest person. If you need to apologize to someone you've been lying to, just apologize. I'm not going to tell you that apologizing will save the relationship. In fact, you might lose it because you apologized. But you would be righteous. And your value is not determined on your apology. Your value is determined on your humanity. God loves you. But come clean. Tell the truth. Tell the whole truth and tell nothing but the truth. Don't exaggerate. Just come clean. Step two, talk less. Come clean. Talk less. Not in the, like, Hamilton sense, talk less, smile more. Just talk less. <laughs> I mean, smile more, sure, but talk less. Challenge yourself to use fewer words. Resist the urge to be impressive in your speech. Just say what you think or say what actually happened. In the case of prophecy, if you're saying something that God said, just say what he said. And if someone asks you, well, what do you think that means? There's your chance to say your opinion about what you think that means. Otherwise, just That's a ministry, by the way. Shh. Spiritual gift. Shh. Practice it. <laughs> Let your words speak for themselves. But then learn to back your words with your actions. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you're not sure you can do it, don't say you will. The middle ground is you can say, I'll try. But then try. <laughs> Come clean, talk less, listen more. Listen to what God says about you. You know how you do this? Read the word of God every day. Every day! Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, study the word, read it. Have somebody else read it to you. We live in the future Download an app and have your phone read you the Bible. 
But listen to God's word every single day. And then listen to what other people are actually communicating. I mean, like, don't just listen long enough, because you, you know that, that, like, really intense listening? It's not active listening. It's anxious li- listening, where, where you're listening just for them to take a breath so you can in- interject your opinion, right? I know that game really well. I was an expert at it, like pro league. But listen more to what people are actually saying. In fact, listen deep enough to begin to wonder, why are they saying what they're saying? And if you're not sure, when they're done saying whatever they're saying, and you're not sure if you know what they're saying, ask them, why did you say that? And see what happens. And by that I mean, listen to how they respond. Man, how incredibly honored would somebody feel if you gave them your full attention And then at the end of it, they actually had to ask you for your opinion. How incredibly honored would you feel if you gave them so much attention that you just listened to what they said, that they actually had to ask you for your opinion? Just chew on that for a little bit. So come clean, talk less, listen more. Jesus, we need help. We live in a world that has taught us to write our deepest intimate secrets on the bathroom wall of the internet. That world has discipled us into trying to be impressive people to gain followers. This world has taught us to breathe the air of other people's validation and when we don't get it, we feel like we are suffocating. But God, you are the air that we breathe. Rescue us from this drowning place. Put our feet on the solid rock and teach us to listen. Teach us to speak the truth. Teach us to find our value in you. For those of us that need to repent of this issue, Lord, I pray that they would receive your grace today and an infusion of your courage. If there needs to be hard conversations that need to be had, would you give us courage? In fact, I pray this blessing over you, Life Church. May God show you how much you are loved by him. May you know the truth of his feelings about you, and may that truth set you free from the prison of other people's opinions. May you feel no need to use your words to gain love from other people. May you speak the truth, and may you be at peace. May your words bless God and be a blessing in the world to others. In Jesus' name, amen.